Man, can we thank God for the worship team? Man. Leading us in song. Uh, I love it. Psalms 100 says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, uh, all the earth, and serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Some of us are able to make a joyful noise, and some of us just make a noise. It doesn't matter if you're singing on key or off key. Uh, God is not sitting in heaven with his ears closed, but he is glad to hear the praises go up in this room. And I'm, I'm glad to do that with you today. Certainly, I could have put on a podcast and listened to some music at home, but it's good to be able to sing next to our brothers and sisters. Look at somebody and just say, I'm happy to see you. It's good to see you. Well, happy Father's Day to all of our fathers, uh, all of those who are expecting to be a father. And uh, this is a great day to celebrate you. And, and I know we stood up, but I'd love to just see the fathers one more time. If you could just wave your hand, if you're a father in here. Amen. Let's honor these men. Let's honor these men. Men, you are important in the life of our families and our society, and certainly you're important in the life of our church. So we really do. We honor you. Uh, y'all see Chris up here with his daddy shark. Do, 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 do. Man, we honor you men today. Well, listen, I, I particularly felt burdened today to preach to the fathers that are in the room. And so, ladies, if you'll allow me just for a few minutes to preach to that specific group, but I'm not asking you to check out today. Uh, we, we actually need you to eavesdrop in on the conversation so that you can hold us accountable. And I also know that this is a complex day for some of us. Some of us grew up with dad in the house. Some of us grew up with no father in the house. Some of us grew up with father in the house, but it was so dysfunctional. It was like he shouldn't have been in the house. Uh, but nevertheless, I think the word of God is going to hit home for all of us. And that's what I love about the word. You know, one word can go out and hit all of us in so many different ways. So let's do it. If you can grab your Bibles, indulge me and meet me in Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one is where we'll be. As you can tell, we are taking a slight detour from the book of Romans. We've been making good traction uh, through the book of Romans. We finished up chapter five last week. We'll jump back into chapter six uh, next week. But it, it is good to make sure we at least spend time to talk to uh, fathers in this room. So that, that's what we'll do. Won't take us long to get to where we need to go. So Mark chapter one, verse nine, if you're there, say, I'm there. I'm there. All right, let's do it. Uh, look, look at verse number nine. For context purposes, I'm going to read nine, 10 and 11. Uh, but I need you to underline verse 11 because that's where we're going to spend the most time. All right. Verse number nine. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized in the Jordan, don't miss this, by John, meaning John the Baptist. And as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Verse 11, underline it. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. And with you, I am well pleased. I want to preach this afternoon, this Father's Day from the topic entitled The Non-Negotiables of a Father. Look at somebody and say, there are actually non-negotiables to being a father. Look at somebody else and say, there's just some things that have to be in place for you to be a father. I think the word of God is going to detail to us what fathers really are. Let's look to the Lord before we dig in. Uh, father, we, we do uh, come before you because you are our ultimate father. 
You are our, our perfect father. You show us and you model for us what this thing looks like. And so, Father, we come to you today pleading with you to speak to us today. Father, many fathers in this room are represented. Um, and one thing I know for sure is that we need consistent exposure to your word. And so, Father, would you cut our hearts deep today? Would you mend us, do spiritual surgery on us today? Because I realize that even as we talk about the non-negotiables of a father, there, there are some who have become passive on some of these non-negotiables. Let, let me not just put that on the, those that are listening. There are some of us, including me, that have become passive. And so, Father, I pray that you would plead with you to speak to us today. But don't let us just leave here and say amen and take notes, but let us really be marked by change and, and transformation. It is in your name that we give all glory. Let everybody say amen. amen. The non-negotiables of a father. I personally have been blessed uh, and privileged to have gone through life and have made some really great relationships. And these relationships are relationships that I would say have defined who I am, marked who I am as a man, marked who I am as a father, marked who I am as a son, marked who I am as a pastor. Uh, there, there are just some relationships that the Lord put in my life that have helped to shape those areas of my life. And these relationships really started at a young age. There's a group of friends that I have that up until the, to, to this day, we are still good friends. We have a, I hate uh, chat groups, but we have a chat group that we're in. Uh, we, we, uh, the, some of them were in my wedding. I was in their wedding. Some of them came to my, both of my boys' baby dedications. And to this day, we are still just deeply good friends. But the relationships that, that formed me didn't just stop with childhood friends. It went to adult figures, such as in the third grade, I had a teacher uh, by the name Miss Blackman. She was Haitian, Sapase. And she, she was so sweet. I mean, really one of the sweetest people that I've ever met. I struggled in school, uh, all through school. And she was one of those teachers that would come. She would see me struggling. She'd put my hand, her hand on my shoulder and, and, and she helped me with my work. She'd tell me, she would say things like, you can be anything you want to be. You just got to work hard. You got to have more discipline. I see a weakness. And, and she would call out things. And uh, she would also slip me some candy when she wouldn't do that to anybody else. And she just was a sweet lady that has marked my life forever. But it didn't just stop there. I had relationships like with a high school football coach, a guy by the name of John Amabile. Literally, he was 5'3". But don't let his stature fool you. He would put the fear of God in you because he just was a very good coach and he knew how to pull out the best in all of his players. And he taught me how to cuss because nobody cussed like John Amabile. He would string some words together. I'd be like, how did that go with, with that? But that relationship marked me. One of the greatest relationships, if not the greatest relationship that has marked my life, happened when I got introduced at 19 to a young lady named Ty. She was 18, I was 19, we got married, she was 21 and I was 22, and that relationship has made me who I am today. But there's two other relationships that has marked me deeply. One of them is a re the relationship I have with the two teenagers in my house that eat up all my food and call me daddy. Those two boys in my house have helped to mark who I am as a man. They keep me on my toes and hear me, parents, and especially fathers. You don't know what real prayer is until you've pleaded with the Lord on behalf of your sons, on behalf of your daughters. My boys have taught me prayer. 
My boys have taught me what it means to plead with the Lord. My boys have taught me. They keep me culturally relevant because they say things that I'm like, what does that mean? I got to Google it. They listen to music that I'm like, that's whack, but they keep me culturally relevant. So I've been marked by the two boys that are in my house. The last relationship I'll bring up is a relationship that I still have today, which is the relationship I have with my father. My father has single-handedly taught me what it means to be a man. My father has taught me what it means to be a father. My father has taught me what it means even to be a pastor. My, my, we grew up in uh, North Carolina and Virginia. He was in the military, but everywhere we went, he, he was always on some type of ministerial staff in a Baptist church. And there would be some Sundays that he would preach, but before he would preach to the congregation on Sundays, he would sit me and my brother down on Saturday and preach the whole message to us. And, and then we, six or seven years old, he'd be like, give me feedback on... <laughs> The message, I'd be like, it was too long. <laughs> Shorten that thing up a little bit. So my father has told me that my, my father would, would do things like I, I literally got my degree because my, my degree in Bible because my father saw a gifting in me. And he said, you know what? You need to go to school because literally he called me one day. He, this is how I know the conversation is going to be short. My father literally calls and says, son, I'm in the spirit. So I'm like, all right. It's only been like four times he's done this. And he said, son, you need to go back to school because don't nobody want to hear you if you don't have a degree under your belt. And then he hung up. I'm like, hello? But I filled out the application and I went to school and got my degree in Bible with a concentration on discipleship counseling because my father called me out. And so my relationship with my father and my relationship with my boys have made me who I am today. In reality, the relationship with a father and a son uh, it really is complex. There are some of you who have learned a lot of positive, like I just named out that my father gave me, but here's the reality. I can also name, even though he was a great father, I can name some dysfunctional aspects of our relationship. Like, I don't care who you are, there's not a person in here, a father in here that is a perfect father. Mothers, there is not a mother in here that is a perfect mother. I have no clue how I'm messing my two boys up right now. I have no, in 10 years, they'll tell me this was dysfunctional. This was dysfunctional. But, but the reality is we all come to the table with some level of dysfunction. But nevertheless, there are some things that still have to be in place. We all father differently. Like some of you in here, I, I've told you this morning. I uh, whispered to T.S., you're an amazing father, brother. There are some great fathers in this room, but I do know this. We don't father the same. We have different core convictions that we still instill into our children. We discipline our children differently. Some do a hand, some do the belt. I do a mixture of both. So we, we just, we father differently. There is no cookie cutter way to father children. Why? Because we all, all of our children are different. The two boys I have in my house are different. I could look at my youngest son and I could say, son, I'm disappointed in you. He would be crushed. He might even cry. But my oldest son, I'll say I'm disappointed. He'd be like, that's it? Can I go play the game? Like that, that's, so there's complexity. You literally learn how to be a father while you're being a father. So it's very difficult. And, and the reality is, even though, that, even though there is no a cookie cutter way and a formula that there's no book that can say, just do these things and you'll be good. Even though that's not true, there are some things that and some ingredients that have to be present. In every father, you cannot call yourself a father without a few non-negotiables. It's like making potato salad. 
10 of us in this room could say we all make potato salad and we come to the table and the potluck with all of our potato salad. The reality is they'll all be different. Why? Because we use different seasonings. We, we, we have a different method and a technique on how we make. We use different potatoes. But here's what I know. All of us have to use certain ingredients in order to call it potato salad. You can't call it potato salad unless you got potatoes. That's a non-negotiable. You, you need, on some level, you need some type of mayonnaise. I don't care how you want to do it. I don't care if you don't like mayonnaise. Don't eat potatoes. You need mayonnaise and potato salad. Don't get at me with this one. But when it's all done, it's a non-negotiable. Your potato salad got to be a little yellow with paprika on top. If it ain't got that, I ain't eating it. Listen, y'all can eat the red skin potatoes and all. I need some paprika on top of that potato salad. And so although we might all make potato salad different, here's the reality. Those ingredients like potatoes and mayonnaise and paprika, you got to have it or else it's not potato salad. And fathers in this room, hear me, we may differ on how we father, but there are some things that if they're not there, you might not be a father, you might be a baby daddy. That there are some things that if, they, if, you're, if they're not present, you cannot call yourself a father. And here's what I love. I don't have to make these up. But Mark shows us what non-negotiables are. All three of them are in verse 11. All three non-negotiables. If you're taking notes, here's the first non-negotiable. A father has to show up. I know that's not deep enough, but the ministry of presence has to be involved if you call yourself a father. You cannot be a father and be absent from your duties. It's not a father. Non-negotiable number two, a father has to affirm what's in their children. Non-negotiable number three, a father has to express pride in their children. And before we get to the end of the sermon, let me just tell you, there's not a father in here that's killing all three. All of us are struggling and striving to be present. All of us are struggling and striving to be able to have a, a, enough emotion to express the pride in our kids. And all of us are struggling and we're striving to, to really be, uh, affirm what God has put in them. But nevertheless, these are things that they have to be present in order to call yourself a father. Let's deal with all three first. A father has to show up. Y'all still with me? Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized in the Jordan by John. That's John the Baptist. Verse 10. And as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Verse 9 through 11 Mark the baptism of Jesus. What is interesting is that you, whenever you read the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, not all, not each event is recorded by all three uh, of the authors. But this is an event that is so important that Matthew writes about it in Matthew chapter 3. This event is so important that Mark picks up the pen and writes about it in Mark chapter 1. It's so important that Luke decides to write about it in Luke chapter 3. All three of them write about the baptism of Jesus. And if you read all three of them, if you do a study on all three of the synoptic gospels, you'll notice that two of them are consistent with who baptizes Jesus and one of them isn't. Stay with me. In two of the accounts with Mark and with Matthew, they both are very clear that Jesus is explicitly baptized by John the Baptist. But Luke leaves it out. 
And many people have suggested, because Luke left it out, that Jesus wasn't baptized by John. Some will even suggest that because Luke left it out, that he probably was already in jail, which means he couldn't have been baptized by John the Baptist. And so there's a debate over who was at the baptism of Jesus. Was was John the Baptist there? Was Peter there? Was Mary there? Was Bartholomew there? What was what, who, who was there? But here's what I love. Even though there's not a consistent, clear picture of John the Baptist baptizing him, although we believe he does because Matthew and Mark uh, both affirm this. Many people will say that he wasn't. But even though John the Baptist wasn't there, I know one that was there. God, the father was there. Every account of the baptism of Jesus shows me that God, the father is present. Mark says it. Matthew says it. Luke says it. They all say, I don't know about Mary. I don't know about Peter, but I know one that models for us the ministry of presence. And that is God, the father. And he's showing you and I in this room. The first non-negotiable is that you got to be present in the life of your kids. Notice God, the father, ain't sitting in heaven going, I don't get along with Mary. And so I can't come to the baptism. He's he not sitting there. He didn't relegate the, 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 or delegate the, the, the responsibilities of being a father to Joseph. He didn't say, oh, you got an earthly father right now, so I ain't got to show up to the baptism as long as Joseph shows up. God is like, no, I, that's my son, and I'm going to show up. And the ministry of presence is so important. And what we've done is we've traded presence for a paycheck. How do I know that? Because many of us will say, I provide for my son. I give to my son. I make sure child support is taken care of. But a check shouldn't replace you. You got to be present. You got to show up. You got to show up to the baptism. You got to show up to the birthday party. When they look in the bleachers, they got to see you, not what you put in the bank. And I love this because, you see, what, there, there's a few things that have that have contributed towards fatherlessness and the, the lack of presence in the home. Because here's the reality. I do not think that the lack of presence is because many fathers don't want to be there. I think some do. We just got busy with life. We got we work in two expensive out in these streets. So we work in two and three jobs. And so therefore, all we do is work and work and we miss everything. And there's a few things that have contributed. Number one, I think the first contributing factor to the lack of presence in the home is the fact that we had an industrial revolution. What do I mean in the 1700s and the 1800s? See, before that, it was an agrarian culture. You took your son out in the field and you taught him to trade. Took your daughter out and you, you taught her the family trade. But once we started to build factories and once we started to build uh, new jobs, we started to get jobs and we stopped being at home to teach the family trade and we traded it for a job. So many of us in here are suffering because of years of it's okay to be absent from the home as long as you as long as you provide. But it's not okay. The devil is a liar. They need the check and you don't replace the check. They need the check and they need you. I think the, the second contributing factor is mass incarceration, particularly in African-American communities. Black and brown communities, we have taken laws and we've snatched teenagers who would be future fathers out of the house. And so we've become so accustomed to not having daddy there because they've have y'all seen uh, what, what's the Netflix uh, when they say, have y'all seen that? We snatch them at 14. 
We snatch them at 15. We snatch them at 16. And we put them in jail. If they didn't do the crime, if they did do the crime, we put them in. Even if even the, the, the laws we had surrounded around like marijuana, there have been people locked up. And so what we've done is we've become so accustomed. We'd be like, daddy, ain't, he ain't supposed to be here. I'm used to raising these kids on my own, but the ministry of presence is so important. And you godly men in this room have to change that trajectory. You got to show up. One of the greatest moments on Sunday mornings for me is when I see y'all carrying them strollers and them families and y'all bringing your family to church. Because what you're saying is I'm here. I'm present. But presence doesn't just mean physical presence. Presence also means emotionally. Because there's been many times, if I can be honest and put my, my, my stuff on blast, there's been many a times where I was physically in the house, but emotionally I was still in the streets. I was physically in the house, but spiritually I was disconnected. All of you has to show up, not a part of you, not some of you. And what I love is, see, real fathers don't need anybody to beg you to be there. Y'all hearing me? Real fathers don't need an invitation. Real, 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 like a real father doesn't need anybody to say, put that on your calendar. Nowhere in this text do you see anybody praying going, God, please show up to your son's baptism. Nobody prays it in any of the gospels. Why? Because God looked down and said, my son is being baptized. I'm coming down. And so all of you, all of who you are has to show up. It's called the ministry of presence. And I pray that God is convicting some of us in this room because the reality is, some of us in this room have become accustomed to not being there, but we think that it's okay because as long as we provide it, it's not healthy. Don't, don't delegate your responsibilities, mama. Like mama's voice is important, but mama, you had your day last month. Today, you fathers got to show up. It's so important because there's a difference, as I said in the beginning, between a father and a baby daddy. See, see, a, a, a baby daddy shows up to the graduation. But a father shows up to parent-teacher conference. See, see, a baby daddy, he, know, he knows what the grades are when the report card comes out. But a father knows what the grades going to be before the report card come out because I done watched the E-grade or whatever they got these days. I done looked at the grades already. See, see, a, a baby daddy shows up to the birthday party. But a father makes memories between birthdays. There's a difference in you got to show up. You got to be physically present. You got to be emotionally present. You got to be spiritually present. I don't mean to beat this point too long, but I, I want to be clear. Your presence is needed. And, and those of you who grew up in this room and didn't have a father, you still feel the impact of, of the emptiness of, and the void of your father not being there. Let me encourage you, because even though your father wasn't there, God the father was. Hebrews 13 verse 5 will say he will never leave you and never forsake you. I know daddy wasn't in the bleachers, but you know who was? God. I know daddy didn't show up to the birthday party and bring a gift, but you know who was? God. God ain't never missed a, 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 a birthday party. He didn't miss a game. God the father didn't skip out on child support. He's been the rock and the foundation of your life. So if you grew up in here without a father and this, the idea of thinking about the ministry of presence actually makes you angry. Don't get angry. Rejoice that God is like, but I'm here. Amen. I'm the foundation for you. So non-negotiable number one. Y'all still with me? Yes. Father has to show up. It's practical, but it's important. But when he shows up, he has to have something to say. In other words, non-negotiable number two is a father has to affirm 
what's in their children. Look at verse 11. We're not going to get far. A voice came from heaven. See, we read that and we rush over that. But you know why that's important? Because God ain't spoke in 400 years. Up until this point, the last time God spoke was through the prophet Malachi. But from Malachi to the birth of Jesus, God the Father, silent. He doesn't speak through a prophet. He doesn't speak to Israel. But what's so dope about it is you would think that God would say, okay, this is the one time I got to talk. I got to tell Mary that I'm going to use her womb to introduce the world to Jesus. But even that, he's silent. He sends an angel. But when he sees his son baptized, he doesn't just show up. He shows up and finally speaks. And that this is so important because more important than, than him speaking is what he says. He doesn't just show up, but the Bible says here in verse number 11 that a voice came from heaven. Watch what he said. You are my beloved son. Jesus uh, just got affirmed by God the Father of who he is. Okay. You know why that's important? Because I read after, so verses 9 to 11 gives us the, it gives us the baptism of Jesus. But if you read a little further, Verses 12 and 13 uh, show us that Jesus is tempted in the wilderness. Same thing in Matthew. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized, but in Matthew chapter 4, he's led into the wilderness. And why is that important? Because when he's led into the wilderness, Satan actually calls into question what God just affirmed. God says at the baptism, you're my beloved son. But later on, when he gets into the wilderness, watch what the devil says in Matthew chapter four. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him. Watch what he says. The first thing he says, if you are the son of God, I know Jesus is like, I know I'm the son of God because my father affirmed that I'm the son of God. And fathers, that's what we have to do. Before you send your baby out into the world, into the wilderness, you got to tell them who they are before somebody else tells them who they are. Because here's the reality. Don't be foolish to think that you're the only voice in their ear. You're not. Culture is feeding them who they should be, but they can decline who culture says they are because the authority in the home, the prophet in the home has said, this is who you are. This is who I see what God has put into you. And you expecting fathers, you hear me from the time your baby is born, you call them who they are. You call them. And, and see, I love this because this idea of God, the father calling who Jesus is, it really shows us that Jesus doesn't have to go into the wilderness and have an identity crisis. What if the devil was like, if you really are the son of God, and he was like, you know what? I might not be, but I, I just was told I was. It's just affirmed. I saw a video on Facebook and uh, this video was about this, this, this father that his daughter was getting bullied in the school. And so he shows up at the school and picks her up early and he comes with flowers. He pulls out the flowers behind his back and he gives her the flowers and he says, it's a half day for you, baby. We're going to lunch. And he takes her to lunch. And the whole time they're at lunch, he's like, you're so beautiful. You are the most beautiful person in the world. And he's affirming and he's he's building her up. And you know why that's important? It's important because he was preparing her for the joker later on that will tell her she's not beautiful. He was preparing her for the one that says you are beautiful because I want to sleep with you. But she can not find fulfillment in what others say because she can say, uh-uh, my dad told me who I was. 
My dad told me at lunch that I was already beautiful. And so I don't care what you say. Doesn't matter what culture says. And affirming your children is so huge. And some of us miss it. Some of us struggle with it. Some of us have a heart, and some of you are still today struggling with the fact that daddy has never affirmed anything in you. And so you're, try, you're having an identity crisis trying to figure out who you are, but God the Father, God the Father models for us. And, and, and affirming who they are and calling who they are doesn't mean you just always call, call out the positives. Sometimes you got to look and be like, that's not right. Sometimes you got to look and be like, that's dysfunctional. I'll never forget, my father had one of them other spiritual moments where he calls me and says, son, I'm in the spirit. This is the week, this, no lie, I told my wife this, the week before my wedding, the week before my wedding, my father calls me and says, son, I'm in the spirit. I have struggled with procrastination all my life, and I see the same thing in you. And if you don't get it right, it's going to hinder you in marriage. It's going to hinder you with your job. It's going to hinder you in life. And then he hangs up the phone, another moment where I'm just like tapping the phone. But what he was doing was he was not just affirming and calling out positives, but he looked at me and said, here's some things that I see as dysfunctional. And you only get to know the good in your child and the bad in your child when you have close proximity. Here's why showing up is important, because when you show up, you can see what God has put in them and call it out and affirm it. So the first non-negotiable is the father has to show up. Ministry of presence. The second non-negotiable so the, a father has to affirm what's in their children. Final non-negotiable is a father has to express pride in his children. Look at what he says. He doesn't just say, you're my son. Verse 11, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. Watch this. With you, I am well pleased. God says, I'm proud of you. Now, you know why that's important? Because he's proud of him and Jesus ain't done nothing yet. Like if you look at the kind, we're in Mark 1. In other words, Jesus hasn't performed any miracles. So God the Father's pride isn't attached to anything Jesus has done. It's attached to who he knows he is. He hasn't performed a miracle. He, he ain't, the dead people, still dead. The party's still whack because he ain't turned the water into wine yet. Then, like notice this, the blind people are still blind. Sick people are still sick. God's the father. His pride wasn't attached to Jesus doing anything. And our pride to our children can't be attached to anything they do, because if it's attached to their behavior and things that they do, the moment they disappoint you, it loses your pride. But here's what I know. There's not a thing my boys can do to lose my pride. They, I can be disappointed. There can be consequences to decisions that they make. But I'll never say I'm not proud of you. I'm always proud because my pride isn't attached to the things that they do. And God the Father looks at Jesus and says, I'm proud of you, but you haven't done anything yet. I'm proud of you. Why? Because I know what you're going to do. I've sent you on a rescue mission, and I know that you are 100% obedient to me. So I, my pride is looking in the future of what you will do in three years. In three years, you're going to impact this world in such a way and then go to a cross and die for sinful people. I'm proud of you, son. That's what we need. We need to express pride. None of us in this room, no father in this room is good at all three. I'm going to just be honest with you. I struggle with emotionally, uh, emotionally connecting with my boys, especially when it comes to expressing myself. Even pride. Now, I'm the only one that put myself on blast. Is there any father that's killing it? Because I need to be discipled by you. 
Is there any father that you're like, check, check, check? Like, if that's you, like, I need to sit down. You need to preach on Father's Day because the reality is none of us in here are doing it well. All of us in here are striving to look more like Jesus. We're striving to look like the one that the scriptures are modeling for us today. Jesus says, I'm proud of you, son. Jesus shows up. Jesus affirms who he is. And there are some things in your life that when it comes to being a father, they just, you got to have it. And these three are it. Who in here is struggling? What father in here will be honest and be like, I know, I know I'm not good at that one. Like maybe it's showing up. I see those hands. Maybe it's showing up. It's not because you don't want to be there. I know you do, but you just got busy. You got, you got busy with the cares of life. And you think, or maybe you didn't affirm them because you think they already know who they are. They don't. They need the prophet in the home to say this is who you are. I want to pray for all the men in this room about these non-negotiables. I don't know what season you're in. Maybe it fluctuates. Maybe you're good at one of them for a season, but then the season switches and you start to struggle. I literally want to pray for every father that's in this room. And every expecting father, and if you have spiritual children, meaning there are people that you've invested your life in to help to build them up, I want to pray for you. Every father, every expected father, every spiritual father, can y'all just run to this altar? We ain't got a lot of time. Y'all know y'all want to take dad out, so just run to this altar. Because the responsibilities of being a father are not easy. These responses, can we thank God for these men that are coming? Y'all stretch on out. Y'all come on down. T.S., move on down. There's men that will say, I, I, I want to I do it right. I, I want to I do good at all three of those. But you know you're not right now. Father, I pray for every man on this altar. Thank you for these godly men. Thank you for the roles that they play in the lives of their family and the lives of their children. Father, I've learned so much from these men that are on the altar. Some of these men, I've had the privilege of being able to watch them interact with their children and watch them interact with their spouses. I thank you, oh God, for what I've seen. Some of them aren't even fathers yet. These things we're talking about, they're praying that they could become that. But the reality is you always put a limp in our walk to make us dependent on you. So, Father, I pray, oh God, that you would build us all up. Pray that we would take this responsibility of being a father serious. Some of us have kids on this altar that we know aren't believers and aren't saved and haven't trusted in the Lord. And we've been pleading with you, God, to do the work in their lives. And, Father, I plead right now that something that Daddy says doesn't have to be deep, but you would use these men to speak salvation to the lives of their kids. Some on this altar have toddlers and infants and Father, may they affirm who they are at a young age. May their kids not grow up and not know who they are. May they not struggle and wrestle through life because they're trying to find acceptance and identity, but their daughters would know that they're godly women. Their sons would know that they're growing up to be godly men. Father, help us because without your help, we wouldn't know what to do. Father, I, I come against the stigma of deadbeat dads. Come against that stigma. And I pray, oh God, 
that these men in the room, even if they grew up without a father, I pray that these men that are on this altar would be the new link in the chain. And that they would start a new trajectory of legacy in their family. And that these non-negotiables, oh God, at the end of the day, they would be present in all of our lives. We wouldn't go through life and think it's acceptable not to be present. And we wouldn't go through life and think that it's acceptable not to affirm who our children are. But Father, that all three of these would be present in our lives. I thank you, oh God, for these men. Holy Spirit, be with them. May this day be deeper than just gifts and brunch. But may this day be the start of a new day and a new father. It's in Christ's name we give all glory. Let everybody say amen. As these men walk back, y'all make sure y'all celebrate them.